Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. Father, just as we, as we focus around your word this morning, God, I just pray that it would bring life and health to us. We thank you for this, uh, this awesome day um, where we just take a step back to look at the, the basics of our faith in many ways, but something that is so uh, life-giving and real and helpful, Lord. So I, I pray that you'd help me as I talk around your word, but you'd help all of us just to receive what it is, God, that you would have for us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So the cool thing, or one of the cool things about Resurrection Sunday is that all around the globe over this weekend, churches of all sorts of different shapes and sizes and traditions and ways of doing worship, different songs that are sung, you know, this, this vast variety that there is within the kingdom of God, within churches all around the globe, have this massive unifying factor of celebrating over this weekend the fact that Jesus came to earth in bodily form, you know, God with us, that he lived the sinless life, that he, uh, he made a way to tell us about what the kingdom of God was all about, was tried, was crucified, and then, of course, rose again on Sunday. You know, there, are, there is much variety within the kingdom of God, right, within churches all around the place. But this central unifying factor, we join with literally millions and millions and millions of people around the world over this weekend celebrating Jesus. How cool is that? <laughs> For us here at Coast Vineyard, we have been, um, we've been in this series of famous last words. And, and obviously, you know, come, come Easter time, the, the, the decision for, uh, for me was really like, what or which famous last words from the Easter story do we actually do we, do we focus on? If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been kind of looking at important things that people said when they thought that it was going to be the last time that they would see someone or, you know, the Apostle Paul sending a letter and saying, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to be with you again. Uh, here are some important things that I want you to know about. Uh, if you've been away or it's your very first time here with us, I'd encourage you to go back, listen to the podcasts or uh, watch the YouTube from a couple of weeks ago, kind of catch up to speed. But, but when it comes to the story of Jesus... There are many famous last words, actually, uh, that we could choose from, right? <laughs> uh, as we, um, we could have chosen about the Last Supper. You know, we could have, in fact, later on we're going to celebrate communion together where, where Jesus had this final time with his disciples and he, he set up this rhythm of just helping them to recognize, hey, this body is about to be broken, this blood is about to be shed for you. And so these final words to the disciples to remind them, remind them about what is about to take place, important last words. Or in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
We could have focused on the the final words that Jesus prayed to his Father in heaven. God, if there is any other way for this to go down, if if there is a different path, if you can take this cup of suffering that I know that I need to walk through, if you can take it away from me, that yet that famous prayer, not my will but yours be done. The submission to the Father and humility to say, I kind of want it to go a different way, but I recognize that for the bigger picture, this is what's needed. And I'm prepared to walk that way because I want it to be your will, God, not mine. Or we could uh, fast forward to, the, uh, to you know, Jesus uh, before Pilate on the next day. I love this thing. So, you know, Pilate, the governor, uh, is, has Jesus on trial, and, uh, and he's, he's saying, don't you realize that I've got the power of life and death over you? You know, my decision will determine whether you live or die. And, and, and he says, the, the thing is that they're challenging, the problem here is that, that they're saying that you're saying that you're the king of the Jews. <laughs> Are you the king of the Jews? Life and death. And that response with clarity, with humility, with authority, yes, it is as you say. Jesus' famous last words to, to Pilate. Didn't say anything else to him. Accusations that they threw at him, he stayed silent. Or we could skip forward to the resurrection. We could, we could skip forward to the restoration with Peter, for example. Peter's just before Jesus was crucified, he, was, he denied him three times, but yet after he's resurrected, Jesus has an encounter with Peter and says, restores him. Peter, do you love me? That's right, it's just God calling Peter, do you love me? And he restores, restores Peter. Or what we now know as the Great Commission in in Matthew 28. After he's been resurrected, gathering his disciples together for one last time. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you knowing that I will be with you always. This famous final words to the disciples, go and do what you've seen me do. So they're all great famous last words. (laughs) But this morning, just just as I've been um, reflecting and praying and thinking about this morning, I I haven't been able to get out um, out of my spirit just... One particular moment and three powerful words. From the scene of the cross itself. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to turn into uh, John 19. And just as you're turning there, as you're flicking them out on your phones and stuff, you know what's just happened within, uh, within this chapter. Jesus has been sentenced to be crucified, he's been flogged, he's been forced to carry his cross, and he's here, hung on the cross. 
this is not the famous words that I want to focus on, but just this incredible moment where, where Jesus, even though he's hanging on the cross, just earlier on in this chapter in John 19, he sees, in, uh, despite his own anguish, anguish and pain, he sees the anguish that's in his mother Mary and his disciple John. And he says, uh, John, I want you to look after my mother, Mary. Mary, I want you to be mother to John. I just find that like incredible that he could be in that place and see the anguish in somebody else uh, and say, this is, this is what I want you to do. So this has happened in John 19. And now he's, he's getting towards his final breaths uh, on that cross. And in John 19, in verse 28, is where I want to pick it up. He says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. I know that's three words, but that's not the three words, all right? I am thirsty. Uh, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, but the sponge, uh, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, and these are the three words, that I want us to focus in on and capture again this morning. It is finished. I know that some of you knew what those words are. <laughs> With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. As Jesus was breathing his final breath on the cross, he said, it is finished. Famous last words. And I don't think that it's an over-exaggeration or overly dramatic to say that those three words have changed history. This one particular moment, or culminating in this particular moment, these three words that have shaped and changed and continue to change history. Not just relevant for a couple of thousand years ago, but relevant for us here today. It is finished, or as the message version puts it, it's done, complete. And as I've kind of just been reflecting on this, this particular moment of, of the story of, uh, of Easter, I, I guess it kind of it, it raises the question, well, what's finished? Right? You know, like, well, what's the, what's the significance of those words? Why did Jesus say that? And, and what is it that we should drink deep of within those words? You know, sometimes I think the temptation for us can be that um, if you've been a Christian here for uh, maybe a number of years, and you're like, I, I've done the Easter a few times, you know I, know, I know the drill, you know, it's Jesus died on the cross, resurrection, you know, I know that, that's good. But sometimes we can miss the significance of just pausing and stopping and considering what it is that Jesus really meant in some of these moments of the, of the Easter story. Or maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Or maybe you're really new to a life of faith. And it is so uh, important and good to just take a step back and hear the story, maybe even for the very first time. Maybe you're watching online with us this morning, and you've never heard the story of Easter in a proper way that goes beyond the bunny rabbits and the chocolate. But we would hear afresh, either for the very first time or for the hundredth time, 
What is the significance of these three words? What is finished? Does that sound helpful? Okay. We're going to do it anyway, so. <laughs> One of those rhetorical questions that speakers, you know, say from time to time that's really normal. I can't do anything about it if you say no. So. <laughs> Good place to start with in this is, is that um, these three words, if it is finished, actually come from a single word, uh, a single Greek word that's translated. So I, I think Google Translate has guided me well here. I don't know. Maybe you're a Greek expert. I'm certainly not. Tetelestai. Tetelestai. Uh, I think that's how you say it. It is finished. And actually, it's an accounting term. All oh, those accountants that are in the middle of year end at the moment. Uh, um, they have found this term on some tax receipts that have, you know, through archaeology and so forth, they've dug up and they've found these, this term, and it means paid in full. You know, like the mortgage. <laughs> I haven't had that experience. Not, not really. <laughs> paid in, I don't know if you're fortunate enough to have had that experience or not, but paid in full. Maybe, maybe there's a loan that you have paid in full at some point within your life. Or maybe there was just a particular bill that you had that you actually weren't quite sure if you were going to be able to pay it completely, right? But you get to the point and you can pay it, and you're just that sense of satisfaction, paid in full, it's complete. There's nothing owing on this. There's nothing that's, you know, there's no monthly payment that's coming out next month. It's done. It's finished. It's pay, paid in full. It is finished. Edwin Blum, who is an author and theologian, puts it this way. He points out that the translation is, it is finished, not I am finished. You know, in, in other words, Jesus is declaring that what was set out for him to be accomplished, for him to do, the mission that he had here on earth was complete. It was finished. It was fulfillment, not defeat. A couple of chapters earlier in John 17, we see Jesus praying, and he says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have given, you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. The work and the mission that was set out for Jesus to do that Luke 19 uh, verse 10 summarizes to seek and to save the lost. That while Jesus was here on earth, his, his mission was to set up this, this, uh, this ability to seek and to save the lost, both from the sense of, you know, those that society within that day would, would, would deem as outcasts, pushed aside, um, just the, the sort of the other bits of society. Jesus made a point of going out of his way to include them within the story of God, you know, so both from that sense and in a general sense, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all not made that, that impossible standard to be able to live in a way that would give us access to God. 
to seek and to save the lost, being made right with God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I know that this is a bit of a big concept, all right? Like I say, sometimes we can kind of glib over it a little bit, but this is a big concept, to be made right with God. That through Jesus living a sinless life, he was therefore able to take on board our sins, all of humanity's sins, so that no longer was there an impossible standard for us to live up to in order to be able to approach God. But that instead he paid the full price, paid in full, (laughs) for us to be able to access God, to take on board our sin on that cross. To allow us to be reconciled with God. Another kind of word that gets bandied around from time to time when it comes to Christianity. But reconciliation, you know, maybe in your life you've had some sort of reconciliation that's happened with someone. Maybe a family member or a friend or some, I'm sure somewhere within many of our journeys there would have been a point where there was something that happened to break a relationship, but then something else came, humility, forgiveness, a a bringing back together, a reconciling of two people coming back together. And on a grand scale, that's what Jesus did for us. He helped to bring us back together with God. God's intent was always that we would be able to walk in relationship, living and breathing relationship with him. But there had been a separation point because of sin. And Jesus comes to reconcile us, to bring us back together, to take on board that sin. Romans 3, 23 to 26 in the message version says this, Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, (laughs) both the person next to you and you, And prove that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess that we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. It is finished. A statement recognizing that that process had been completed. That as John 13, well, I know that I'm covering a lot of scripture here this morning, but but this is good for us just to take a step and to, to consider again. John 13, 1 describes that you know, in that meal, in that last supper that I referred to earlier, he, he loved them to the end. Talking of his disciples, but also for us, that he loved to the very end. Yeah, also contained within this, it is finished statement, is a, is a recognition of the fulfilled prophecy in Jesus. 
apparently there's over 300 different prophecies about the Messiah, about the Christ coming, uh, all written within the Old Testament. Again, if you're new to faith, Old Testament is the bit of the Bible that's before Jesus even walked on the earth. 300, over 300 different statements about what this Messiah would be are all finding their fulfillment in the life and death of Jesus Christ. It is finished, paid in full, complete. And even in the, even in the moment of Jesus dying, you know, it's still, there's still intentionality and purpose in it, you know, I in that, uh, that final few verses that we read in John 19, it says, Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Uh, uh, Gerald Boucher, uh, another theologian, says this. He points out, for John, the point of the story is not just that Jesus was killed, but that he died in accordance with God's appointed hour. He gave up his spirit. He chose to die. There was intentionality and purposeful uh, you know, action that was going on. Some scholars tell us that the, the loud cry that we hear referred to in uh, Mark 15 and in Matthew 27 was probably the same word, you know, that's, that's used. It is finished. They don't use that specific uh, word in those Gospels. But they describe what happens in this... There's this, just this incredibly dramatic moment, right? After the statement of, it is finished. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. Imagine being there, that, hearing that. <laughs> Whoa. Curtain of the temple. It's separating the plebs, us, <laughs> from the Holy of Holies. So they literally had a curtain that came down in the temple that you could not go uh, into unless it was a specific date with a particular person. And the symbolic gesture of ripping that curtain apart. They say it was like four inches thick and, I don't know, really high. <laughs> so you couldn't, it's not, not, not like somebody, you know, not like a thin little curtain that someone just, ooh, this would be good timing. <laughs> it is finished. The, the curtain of the temple is torn in two. Again, symbolizing this, this access, this, this interaction, this relationship that we can once again have with God, that no longer is there this point of separation that you and I can walk into relationship with God because of it is finished. And of course, it wasn't just a, a, a one-off thing it's continually finished. You know, our sin is continually taken away. We are continually given access to be able to uh, access into the Holy of Holies, the, this relationship 
with God. It's not just finished in that moment, but it's given life and opportunity to be able to continue to be finished. In fact, I, I, I found myself, myself sort of asking this question as we've been thinking about today. It's, it's the question, after it is finished, what can begin? Because of what Jesus did, because of that statement, it is finished, what can start? What can I, what can I step into? And I just want to, I just want to kind of shift our focus here a little bit. And I want to, I want us to think about what could begin this Easter, today, now. Again, in kind of general terms, because of it is finished, you know, we've got access to hope like we never had before. Hope for the future, hope for eternity, but also hope for now. I've, I've, I've been involved in a few uh, funerals so far this year. Um, many of you will know uh, George Knox, who passed away earlier on in the year, and the, the, the peace that he was able to exhibit and live with in those final few months of, of knowing what was about to happen was just because of the Jesus that he walked with. Uh, there was a, a, an, another funeral of a friend, uh, Renette, who attends another church, and uh, she passed away from MND, motor neuron disease. She was a physio who knew exactly what was happening to her body. But man, just every time that you'd... I just met with her a few times, and every time you walk into that, that hospital room, just the... The hope that she carried. In fact, I remember um, seeing her a couple of years ago. She was in a wheelchair, and, uh, and I didn't know that she was in a wheelchair, so it was quite a shock to me. And so I, I had this interaction within 30 seconds of me clearly saying, what's going on here? She's like, well, how are you? You know, what's, what's up with your family? You know, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> how is it that someone's able to live with that hope. Yes, it was true for her in her final months of life, but it was also true for the way that she lived completely. Come on in, uh, Wyatt. We're going to have communion soon. Just this hope that we, can, that we can carry, that we can live with. There's unmatchable and unconditional love. There's peace. There's forgiveness. There's the opportunity of relationship with God. There's being filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit. There's the coming of the kingdom of God. Because of it is finished, these things can start. But what is it for you? Beyond the general What is it that you sense that God might be wanting to start in you? God's always doing stuff in our lives. If we just have hearts that are open, it might be something that's you know, linked to something, one of those things, or it might be something quite different. But this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, because of it is finished, what 
is he wanting to start in you and in me? Like I said, we're going to take some time to have communion together. And I'd really love for this just to be a, a time where you can kind of ask yourself that question. You can actually have some space to reflect and to just have some time with God. God, what is it that you're stirring and doing? Maybe, maybe there's an area of unforgiveness. You want to bring that to the foot of the cross and have that statement, it is finished. Maybe there's an area of, of healing, maybe physical, but maybe emotional, that you're actually wanting to bring God into. Maybe there's something that you sense him stirring and calling you into. Maybe there's something from the past that you've, you've put down, but you've, just, you've been sensing that nudge of the Holy Spirit to pick it up again. Or maybe you're here and faith in God is the new. Maybe you're here and you've, you've been kind of sussing out this whole God thing for a while. And there'd be no better day than on Resurrection Sunday to say, you know what, I'd, I want to give this God thing a crack. I actually want it to go beyond just something that I understand in my head, that I hear other people singing about and talking about. And I want to experience God for myself. Well, that would be awesome to step into that. Kind of most of us in the room have done that at some point, in some fashion, in some way. And we know the freedom and the difference that it makes to our lives when we invite God. It doesn't make everything perfect and doesn't kind of magically solve everything, but it does give us a hope for the future that we never had before because it's no longer centered around what we can do, what we know, what, what we're all about. It's about a God that we can trust and put our faith in. So let's take some time to have communion. In fact, um, if you are here and wanting to make that decision to invite God into your world, we're going to take communion in just a moment, but I, 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 think, I think it would be good to just identify that for yourself. So I think what we'll do, just for us, I'm not going to make this weird or anything, but just, just give us a minute, all right? Could you just close your eyes, bow your heads for a second? And if you are wanting to step into that life of faith, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much the only one that's looking around at the moment. Nothing extra is going to happen in this, uh, after this moment. Nothing. I'm not tricking you, <laughs> all right? Um, but just if you're wanting to make that decision, and I want you to, to lift up your hand in just a second, and the reason why you're lifting up the hand is to identify to yourself having a stake in the ground, it's highly likely that God has been working in your heart for maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe years. And so there's nothing magic about this moment, but it's just the recognition that you are saying, God, I recognize that you're working in my life and I want, to, I, I want, to, I want you in. I, I want to invite you into my heart and my life. 
So I'm going to ask you to lift your hand, then I'm going to pray a simple prayer to help invite God in. If that's you, could you just lift up your hand, just wherever you're seated? I see that hand down the middle there. That's awesome. You can put it back down now. It's so cool. Anybody else here? Just for a second. Just lift up your hand high and bold and proud. Awesome, man. Fantastic. Just a moment longer. Okay, I'm going to lead you through a prayer, inviting God in, and then I'm going to pray about communion. And then we're going to come and we're going to spend some time just grabbing the juice and the bread, going back to our seats and just being able to reflect and asking that question, what is it that you're wanting to do afresh and anew in my heart and in my life? Let's pray. Lord, for uh, those people who just raised their hand right then, God, we pray in the kingdom of God. Father, would you come to dwell with them? We thank you for this decision to invite you into their hearts, Lord God. And we pray, Father, God, that as they walk from here, they would know, God, that their sins are forgiven, that they are free in Jesus' name, that they can live with you. This this incredible journey begins from here of walking life with you. And God, as we come around your table this morning for all of us, God, to take of the bread and the juice, to recognize the significance of your death and resurrection, God, we pray that you just speak into our hearts that you'd call us forward as we seek to live life with you. We don't have it all together, but you do. And so, Lord, just in this moment, we recenter ourselves on the glory of who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks again for tuning in to today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you're keen to find out more about us as a church whānau, you're welcome to go to coast.org.nz or, of course, we'd love to meet you in person. We meet at 10am at Aurewa College on the beautiful Hibiscus Coast and you're more than welcome. Be blessed and have a great day.